Okay, we're going to start here on the top of Mem Zayin Amud Aleph. We left off yesterday with the Gemara explaining that the reason that Rabbi Shimon doesn't allow you to carry a lamp that is lit is because asimpasis the devar asur comes a base for something that is asur, and that becomes problematic. So the Gemara is now going to discuss a little bit about the concept of basis the devar asur. Amar Abzera, Amar Abasi, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Amar Rabbi Chanina, Amar Rabbi Romanus. Li hetir Rabbi the Taltel Machta Befra. Rabbi allowed me to take a pan with its ashes in it. So this is going to somewhat present the problem to us based on what we think here in the Havamino. Jazeera have a machta, which is a pan, which seems to be okay to carry. Inside of it is afer, ashes, which would be considered to be muksa. So now I have the pan being a basis, l'davarasur, but I'm allowed to carry it, which would be the opposite conclusion of what we just suggested in the position of Rabbi Shimon. Did Rabbi Yochanan really suggest that? Vatnan. Don't we have a Mishnah? Notel Adam Bino, Vaevin Biyado. Person can carry their child if there's a stone in the hand. O Kalkala, or a basket, Vaevin Bitocha. And if there's a stone inside the basket, one can carry them. This is the important qualification of that Mishnah. Which is the kalkalam leyat perot askinan that only if it has fruits in there, meaning that if you just had a basket and a stone in it, you would not be permitted to carry the basket because that is a basis ledavar haasur. You wouldn't be able to carry a stone. A stone is muksa, so you need something else to be matir over here. What's the something else? That's what Rabbi Yochanan suggests over here that the basket also has fruits in it. So if a basket full of fruits and a stone, which is what we call a basis ledavar haasur umutar. It's a base for something that's both a sur, which is the muksa, the stone, and mutar, which is the peyrot. But time would eat by peyrot. The only reason it works over here is because there are peyrot, there are fruits inside of the basket. How late lay peyrot? If there were not fruits inside the basket, it would not work. So ishtomim kishachado. He was silent for a moment. He had to think about it. V'amar. Hachanami. Our case also. eat ba kartin. Our case also has heter here. The pan that they were talking about, or the pans that they're speaking about here, were used to burn incense, used to bring a pleasant smell, either after the meal or in the house. So karatin is a terminology that's used in minachot for incense or for the levona that goes along with it. And so karatin are little pieces, granules of levona. So the pan in it now has the ashes, but also has this levona in it. Levona being the heter, the ashes being the isur. So I'm Rabbi Wait a minute. We're talking about in Rebbe's house. Rebbe's an extremely wealthy individual. These little granules of levona that are left over, are they considered to be significant for them? Are they significant enough to say now that this pan has both heter and isur in it? You say, okay, you're right. In Rebbe's house, they're not so important. But for a poor person, they would be significant. In Vatanya, we have a breita. Big day aniyim, le aniyim, big day ashirim, le ashirim. And when it comes to tumat bigadim, we've mentioned this before. Tosafot over here says it's only with regards to midras, tumat midras, which is sitting on or laying on the item, that the size of Begah that qualifies to Mikabel Tumah, we saw two sizes. One was Shlosha al Shlosha Tvachim, three by three Tvachim. We also saw Shalosh al Shalosh Etzbaot, three by three Etzbaot. The Gemara there says, what is three by three Etzbaot Ra'ui for? We said it's good to be a patch for the clothes of Anim. 
But that's only true of an ani. There, the bright that distinguishes between for a nashir, the minimum size of clothing that we be able to is three by three tzpachim, which is considered significant in and of itself, and therefore it'd be equally significant for an ani or an ashir. But below that amount, an ashir would never keep. An ani would keep it. So therefore, there is a certain amount of subjectivity to the size of beged that will be mikamel to mat midras. For an ashir, the minimum threshold is three by three tzpachim. For an ani, the minimum threshold is three by three etzbaot, because he would save a piece of cloth that small in order to use as a patch. But what does not true is that if it's significant for Ani, for the Ashir, that doesn't make a difference. So for the Ashir, the 3 by 3 Ezbaot is not relevant. It's not significant. And so the same thing over here. When you're talking about something that's a Basis, the Devar Asur Mutar, the Hector here has to be something that's significant to the individual who it's relevant to. Over here it's Beit Rabbi. It has to be relevant to them that these leftover granules of Levona are significant. So Abayi suggests that the halacha here is totally different. He's almost like jumping jumping ship here. It's not an issue in terms of Bosis Ludavas or Bosis Mutar. It's invoking a different principle, which is Geref Sharei. Geref Sharei, in the literal translation, is like a chamber pot. It's basically something that was used whether to defecate, urinate in, and it's unpleasant to keep inside the house. One would want to remove it from the house in order to continue to reside there and feel comfortable residing there. In the broader sense, it's basically garbage. Garbage that makes it unpleasant or makes it that you're unable to live in the place. And there's a permission on Shabbat that even though these items technically are muksa, they have no purpose on Shabbat, there's no reason that you should be able to carry them. There's nevertheless a dispensation that if it ruins the atmosphere of the house, one can remove them from the house. So that's a Gerif Shorei. So now what Abai is suggesting is this pan full of ashes is the equivalent of a Gerif Shorei. It's garbage that has to be disposed of. It has to be removed. So the reason you're allowed to move the ashes here has nothing to do with whether the ashes are Isur, or if there's het there, or anything to do with that, of the Muksa case, simply under this special dispensation of Gerav Sharei. So Amar Rova, Rova says, That answer does not work, and I have two reasons why it shouldn't work. Chada, the Gerav Sharei Mois, Vahilo Mois. The definition of a Gerav Sharei is it has to be something that is disgusting, something that is so unpleasant that you find it's a necessity to remove it from the house. If it's something that doesn't compel you to remove it from the house, that's not called a Gerev Sharei. Ashes in general do not have that effect. Saying garbage, a chamber pot, that has an effect on an individual where you say, I don't want to be here when this is here, or I can't stay in this room with it, so you want to remove it. Ashes don't have that effect, especially in their day where ashes were very common. That wouldn't have the effect of having someone feel ma'us, and that they'd want to remove it right away. It's not as clear that Abai accepts that there are Karatin Shalavona in anymore. He's going back, he's just saying that it's Afer and what the problem with the Afer is. But even if you said they are in there, according to Revi, they're insignificant, so they're Batel the Gabe the Ashes. Abai is really focused on the Ashes aspect of it. Vote, Gerev Sharei Migle, Vamichse. The general problem with the Gerev Sharei is that it's open, it's exposed. And being open or exposed, that's what causes the problem for the individual to be there and why you're compelled to remove it. Over here, the way they had their incense pans is that you had the pan, and on top you had a lid that was hinged or opened up, and when you closed that lid, it had little holes in it that allowed the incense to rise from the pan. But you have a covered pan. A covered pan means that the ashes are not really exposed, 
and therefore it makes it less likely to be called a gershurei or something that would compel you to remove it from the house. Rava offers up an alternative, which is kiavina be Rav Nachman hava mitaltalinan kinuna agav kitma. When we were in the house of Rav Nachman, we used to carry a brazier agav kitma because of its ashes. So Rashi explains again what a kinuna is. It's a clean echoshet, copper, brass pan. Shemivin boa ur lifnei In which they bring the fire or probably the coals before those important people in order to heat up. So it's a heating pan. We've seen these before, a long-handled heating pan. Now once it's burnt out and there are ashes in it, the heating pan itself is muksa because it's only used for isur. Now what he's done or what Rava has accomplished here is changed ashes from being muksa to being actually the thing that is matir. Because ashes have a use or utility on Shabbat, assuming that they weren't created on Shabbat. Assuming they were ashes prior to Shabbat, those ashes now become heter on Shabbat because the ashes have a use or a utilization on Shabbat. So as she points out, she has, They use it as some sort of dilutive material so that they use it to cover over whether it was feces, spit, anything that was disgusting in the house, they use the afer to cover it over or to dilute that item. This afer now, instead of being the problem of Isur, it's actually the item that is matir you to carry. Because the ashes are the heter. Until now we assume that the afer was not muhan, That it was not ready to or utilized on Shabbat. And therefore it's the muksa that's causing us the problem. Now what we've done or what Rav has accomplished is said, no, the afer was already there before Shabbat. And the afer is the heter. And that's why you're allowed to carry over here the kinuna and above pan that Rabbi Romanus was carrying around, the machta, that was also because of the ashes that were in it. The ashes are heter. So now you have a busis ledavara mutar. And therefore, even though the pan itself or the brazier itself, you would not carry alone, because it has heter in it, now you're allowed to carry that item because you're using it as a vehicle to move that which is heter. And so now we've flipped the whole case around and said the ashes are now the Vehicle for Heter, not the vehicle for Isur. Ba'afagav, now he puts in a little spin here, Ba'afagav de'ikalea shivrei etzim. Not only are the ashes matir the kinun, the brazier, which is the klisha machto Isur, but because of the ashes you're allowed to carry it, but even if there are small pieces of wood on top of it, the wood is clearly Isur, because the small pieces of wood are going to be used to light the fire, and are muksa. So now when you have muksa and you have head there together, now you have what's called a basis ledavar asur mutar, or kli that is makzik isur and heter, and we allow you then to carry it. So that's the principle that's being established here. Meitave, is that really true? We have a bright that says, v'shavim, shemyesh ba shivrei petila, shasur letautel. Everybody agrees if there are leftover pieces of wick in there, that you may not carry it. So now we have the wicks are clearly Isura Muksa. They're mixed together with the ashes that are inside. The ashes are head there. The wicks are Isur. And here we say that you can't carry it. How come over here when you have the wicks and the ashes, we say no? And you, rubber, are trying to suggest that when you have ashes and wood, pieces of wood, that it's fine to carry it. So Amar Abaye, Beglilo Shonu. This happens to be in the Galil. Rashi over here says what's important about the Galil. Rashi says, They don't have linen clothing, or they don't have linen material up there, and therefore they were short on wicks. 
They didn't have a lot of wicks, and wicks were extremely important to them. So the significance of wicks is what's important over here. That's the way Rashi translates it over here. Rashi on Daf Ayin Chet, later on the Masechta, says, is that they They were very poor up there. Since they were poor, the wicks to an gun added significance. Just like before we say, like a beggar that shalosh shalosh beheads both, over here the wicks take on added significance. Tosafot does not like either of those interpretations. And the Rabbeinu Tam says, that they had tons of oil up there. Normally, when you looked at two items, you would say, look, I have oil and I have a little bit of leftover wicks. The oil would be the most significant material there. And therefore you'd focus on what the status of the oil was. But because in the Galil, they had a plethora of oil, therefore oil was not significant to them. What was significant to them was the wicks, because... They had much more oil than they had in terms of wicks. And that imbalance caused them to make or put significance on the wicks, not on the oil. But, but that's not the con- concept of process. The Mutter um, firmed in that realm. So very good. What you're raising is an issue that's raised by the Rishonim in the Mar and Beitza. The question with regards to Basis Davar Asur and Mutar is, is simply enough to have Isur and Heter on an item? And that makes it a buses of Davras or Mutar. Without any bitto, without any consideration of the items that are along there, as long as there's Heter and Isur, that's enough to create a buses of Davras or Mutar. Or, do we have to look at contextually, for instance, the value of the Heter and Isur? Do we have to give, in terms of looking at these items, some sort of subjective value to the items that are found here? This Gemara seems to suggest that it's not only simply Isur and Heter, but the significance of the items that are there also play a role in whether it's classified as a busis ledavra asur mutar. So if you have heter and iser together, but the iser is so significant that it's as if the heter is batel, the gabe, the isur, then we would not consider the heter here. Just because it's heter, it's not significant enough or it's not meaningful. And the same way the other way around. If you have iser there that is so significant, then the heter will be batel, the gabe, the isur, and it's as if it's not there. The Rashba makes such a comment at the beginning of Beitzah, the Rashba says that when it comes to buses of Asur Mutar, there has to be some sort of relative value between the Isra and Heter. This comes up, for instance, on Shabbat. Sometimes people want to put the candles on the table, and they put them on a tray on the table, but they want to be able to move the candles off the table later on on Shabbat. But you can't move the candles. The candles are Dabar Isur. So they have a tray underneath that becomes a buses Dabar Asur. So what do they do? They put heter onto the tray. They put a piece of bread onto the tray. The problem possibly with that is, now you have silver candlesticks and a little piece of bread on the platter. When you have those two together, is that still really a busis ledavras or a mutar? Or is what really matters the candlesticks and the bread is insignificant in relationship to the candlesticks? Can you call it a busis ledavras or a mutar? So there are those, according to like the Rishonim, like the Ashbo, say, no, that's not a buses davras or mutar, because you have a disparate value here between the candlesticks and the bread. There are others that will argue that the Gabe Shabbat, you give oversized or exaggerate the significance of the bread, because for you, that's what's relevant on Shabbat. That's heter to you on Shabbat. That heter is enough to create the buses, the davras or davras mutar here and allows you to carry it. So that's the question that you have to address, and partly what you're asking here in terms of the bitul. This Gemara, like with Rabbi, seems to indicate that that is true. Where you had the Levona over there, close to Rabbi it was insignificant, therefore it did not become a bustless, the Davar Asur Mutar. 
Now you could argue, against the way that I'm suggesting here, that in our cases over here, it's not about a value question, it's a question of bittul over here. And the overarching theme in this Gemara is bittul, which is that they are so insignificant, or they're not relevant in these cases, and that's why the Isra, the Heter, disappears, because of their relevance, not because of their relative value. Had it been that either one of them was significant, had there been a Nof Labona there, even though to Rabbi it would have been insignificant compared to something else, Nevertheless, that might have been sufficient. It was just such an insignificant amount that we say it's Batel. So you could argue against the conclusion that I'm bringing, but it is a question within the Muksa of Basis, Mutar, what exactly is the qualification of the Isser and Heter that has to be on there in order to qualify it to be called a Basis Ladavar Asur Mutar, not just simply a Basis Ladavar Asur. Alright, that was just a quick view of Basis Ladavar Asur Mutar. We'll bump into it again. Also, the Gemara in the beginning of Beitza was addressed it again. But just so you know what the issues are, the Gemara raised it a little bit here, but these are issues that have practical ramifications today in terms of buses, mutar, in terms of moving things on Shabbat. So now the Gemara moves on. Levi found these two Chachamim at the entranceway to the base majors of Ravuna. Or is one allowed to reassemble a bed of Tarsim on Shabbat? Rashi says that the Mita Tarsim is basically a travel bed. The equivalent of a travel bed, it was used either, Rashi here says, Torfei Nechoshet, it's either used by coppersmiths or Gardim or the weavers. They used to travel from city to city. They're iterant merchants. And therefore, they take with them a bed that dismantles and then can be reassembled. Right, a cot, something along those lines. But are you allowed to reassemble such a thing on Shabbat? No problem, you can reassemble it. And he went to then speak to Rav Yehuda about this. Amar, have Rav Shmuel both say, remember Rav Yehuda is a Talmud of Rav, and then later on is a Talmud of Shmuel. So Rav Yehuda knows well what Rav and Shmuel are saying, and here he says, both Rav and Shmuel agree. You reassemble a bed like this on Shabbat, you're chayev chatat. So now you have a huge gap between these two positions. You have a position here, Rav and Shmuel says it's osur midoraita, put it together. And then you have Rabbi Avon and Rav Hunabachia saying that it's mutar, even midrabanan. It's completely mutar. Put together this bed. So, let's try to understand this. We have a Tosef that says, a machzir, kenemi no rabbi Shabbat, chayev chatat. Someone who reassembles a candelabra on Shabbat, whether it's a branch of the candelabra, or whether it's a central piece that has branches coming off of it, if you put it back together, then you're chayav chatat. That's osur mide oraita. Kane saidin lo yachzir. One should not return it. Vim yachzir patur avalasur, which would mean it's an iser derabanan, not an iser deraita. Kane saidin. The easiest way to explain this is like a window washer's uh, squeegee. The window washer has on the squeegee extension bars that he puts together. He needs it to be longer, so he puts on the extensions. He needs it to be shorter. He takes off the extensions. Over here, it's talking about someone who's a sayad, the whitewashing. The painter, right, the painter, the whitewashing, has these extension, or the telescopic arms, whatever it is that you're doing here. The difference between them being, that by the menorah, by the candelabra, once you put it on, it's going to be there for a long time. It's not something that's on a regular basis taken off and put on. It's something that when you affix it there, it's going to stay there for a duration. On the other hand, when it comes to this paintbrush, this roller, this squeegee, that has the extension arm on it, 
on a regular basis, you're going to connect and disconnect them because depending where you are on the wall or how far you need to reach, it's going to be taken apart and put together on a regular basis. So that's not considered to be a permanent or a connection or building over here. So therefore, it's only osumi de rabanan, not osumi de oraita. Rabbi Semai Omer, he adds in, Karen agula chayav, Karen shuta patur. These are musical instruments. There's some sort of flutes. So if it's a circular flute, which required more of a musician or an expert to put together, if that is put together, then you're chayav chatat. Because that's something, once it's put together, it's not taken apart. On the other hand, when we're talking about a karim shuta, which is a simple flute, whether it's putting in the reed or putting it together, whatever it is that you're doing here, on a regular basis, a layperson could put it together, take it apart, it's done on a regular basis, therefore you're pator levasur. Rashi says over here, what exactly are you chayav chatat for? What isur doraita did you violate over here? So what are you going to say to me? Binyan, building. We know, and we discussed this already, that Beit Hillel believes ain binyan bikelim. There's no din of binyan by kelim. There is binyan by structures. There's no binyan by kelim. So that cannot be the reason that you are chayav a chatat over here. So what is the chayav chatat generated by over here? So Rashi says that when you put it together, it's hut chilato vigmaro. That when you put on this item, that is both the beginning and the end of the process, which is what we call chayav mishum makeh vipatish. It's the melacha, which is the last of the melacha mentioned in the Mishnah, which is the finishing of any item, the finishing touch on any item. If that is the completion or brings it into function, that's called makev patish, and therefore you're chayav chatat for the violation of makev patish. Makev patish in the Mishnah is one of two definitions that's given to it. It's either the last blow that is given by the smith or the craftsman to finish off, and that last blow, that's called the gamar, the makeh ve'patish. The other definition that's given to it is the worker or the craftsman, the smith, when he's using a hammer to work on the material that he's working on, the hammer has to be absolutely smooth or flat. And therefore, before he hits the material, he has to hit it on something else to ensure that the hammer is flat so that it doesn't do damage to the material. So he takes one hit, like on the anvil, and then one hit on the metal. So that hit to the anvil is what's considered the makeh ve'patish because... That ensures that the hammer is ready to do the work. Again, it's the finishing touch for the hammer to make sure that the next hit it does is on the material will be a successful hit. Or laming yadav to make sure that he hits properly. But it's some sort of form of completion or the last thing you do before. And so over here, this is the completion of these kelim. And that's why it will be considered to be maket ve patish. So now we have a problem. We have a machlokad here about this bed of the tarsim. We brought it to Sefta that discusses, at least, if it's something that's left in a permanent state, then it's Chayav Chatat. If it's something that is done on a temporary basis, then at least it's also Midr So neither of the options are available to say that it's Mutar, like was suggested by Rabbi Abba and Rabbi Barchia. So how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to deal with their position? So the Gemara says, Inu Amarki Hai Tana. They subscribe to the position of this Tana. The Tanya. Belabnota Mita, Vikarota Mita, Olubachim Shel Skivas. Belabnota Mita are the equivalent of today what we call cups. You have a bed that's going to sit on carpet or on wood and you don't want it to scratch the floor, you don't want it to sink into the carpet. Place under the legs of the bed, you put cups underneath it to support the legs. That's what these miblabnota mitar, they're the equivalent of small feet, small pieces at the bottom that hold the legs of the bed. In their day, the problem was that moisture on the ground would eat away at the wood that were the legs of the bed. So you need some sort of protection or intervening matter that would stop the legs from being on the ground. 
Then you have Karot Amitah, which are the legs of the bed itself. Ulevachim Shel Skivas is a very interesting thing. Rashi describes it. Eitz Katan Kamin Dav Shetokim Bekeshet. It's used on the bow and arrow. That Allah Moshech HaChetz, on which you pull the arrow. So it's basically the guide on the bow and arrow. It's the guide that on which you place the arrow when you're pulling it back. So that's what this little piece of wood is. Lo Yachzir. All of these items, one may not replace, reconstruct on the Shabbat. But if you do replace them on Shabbat, then you are patur avalasur, meaning that there's an iser derabanan. Velo yitka. And you should not put them in or fix them with strength. Now, when you fix them with the strength, means that you are jamming them in place because when you do that, you're assuming that you're not going to take them apart. Right. It's going to be much longer duration. It's much more permanent in nature. Then And if you do do that, then you're going to be chayav chatat. If it's loose, mutar the gamre. It's totally mutar. If it's loose, it's totally fine. So now, what Rabbi Avo and Ravuna Bechi are going to say, we subscribe position of Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. That as long as the attachment or the affixing of these items leaves it in a state where it's still loose and it's not jammed in place, not locked in place, then that type of assembly is not problematic on Shabbat. So anything where the assembly leaves it in a state that is loose or a state that is not permanently affixed, that is mutar on Shabbat, and that's what they were suggesting. This bed of the Tarsiim, the assembly leaves it in a loose way, obviously, because they're going to take it apart again, and he's going to travel again with it. So that type of assembly is mutar the gamre on Shabbat. Now, Tosafot still asks over here, the Gemara in other places in Shabbat says, it's not comfortable having two positions like this. Gemara is never comfortable having a position that one says mutar, and one says, Chayav Chatat. Whenever we have a Machloket, the assumption of the Gemara is that they're going to be one standard deviation away from each other. Which is that, if I say Mutar, then the one who says Asur is only going to say Asur de Rabbanan. If I say Asur de Rabbanan, the other person is going to say Asur de Araita. We're not going to have two standard deviations where one is saying Asur de Araita, and one is saying Mutar the Gamre. So that's where Tosavot says, I don't understand here. Now I have a Machloket here. When Rav and Shmuel are saying Asur de Araita, and have Rabbi Abba and Rabbi Barakia subscribing to Bishim Gamliel and saying Mutu the Gamre. says that's, that's a spread that I'm not comfortable with. How do you have such a differential in opinions? So what Tosfot says is, rewords it a little bit. It says, That's only when it's not loose. When they lock it in place, that's Chayav Chatat. Therefore, when it's loose... So Tosfo takes it down, moves the Machloga to one standard deviation by saying, Rav and Shmuel and Rav Huna Barchia and Rabbi Abba were talking about two different cases. One time that when you lock it in place, like we saw in this writer that we just quoted, when you lock it in or you make it tight, that's Chayav Chatat. That's what Rav and Shmuel were addressing. Rabbi Abba and Rav Huna Barchia were addressing a case where it's loose. They're apples and oranges. But if you went to apples and apples, their Machloga would be between Anisud the Rabbanan and Mutar the Gamre. In that way, Tosafot limits the Machloket to the distance in their Machloket. In Azariv Chama, they had this bed of the Galonita. It's not clear what exactly this Galonita is. Rashi brings over here, Mita Galonita, similar to the bed of the Tarsim that we saw before. Later on in the Mesechta and Kuflam Etchet, Rashi over there says about the Kisei Galin, that's equivalent to our bed of Galonita over here, which is basically it's something that disassembles and assembles. So it's again, that's something that is not a permanent fixture, but something that is taken apart and put together. So have a Hadre La Biyomatova. They were putting it back together on Yom Tov. Why are you putting it together, assembling it? So he says, what? This is not the normal way of putting it together. So it's an unusual type of binyan. Therefore, you think it's mutar. It says, 
Okay, because it's binyamin etzad, or it's not the normal way to put it together, because you're not putting it in tightly, you're not locking it in place. So because there's no din doraita, but there's still a, a, a isud rabbanan to assemble in that way. Amrlei, ano Rabbi Shimon Gamliel severely. I hold like Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. That he's saying the same thing that Rabbi Abba and Rabbi Huna Berachias says, but it's mutar. mutar. You're assuming that the problem here, it wants you to do it, not in the way that it's a chiv doraita. Then I land in an isud rabbanan. I subscribe to Rabbi Shimon Gamliel's position that it's mutar legamre when there is no chiv doraita involved. Alright, next Mishnah. So we actually quoted this Mishnah earlier in the Perek, which is that one is allowed to put a utensil to capture the sparks that come out of the lamp. You cannot put water into this item because then it's not only catching the sparks, but it's also extinguishing the sparks. If you remember before, Rav Chista had made a statement. Rav Chista makes a statement that one may not put a glee down to capture an egg that is being laid, but one may take a glee to cover an egg that was already laid. There you had Rabba and Rav Yosef trying to explain why or what the reason is behind Rav Chista's position. Rabba suggested it was Hatzalah Mitsuya. Rav Yosef suggested that it was an issue of Mavatel Kli Mehechano. The Gemara asked this question. That's why we had this quoted before. The Gemara quoted this Mishnah and said, wait a minute, I, you can be Mavatel Kli Mehechano because look here, you're allowed to put a utensil down to capture the sparks. That's what the Gemara basically asks here. How can you put the glee down to capture the sparks? That's Mavata Glee Meichano. Because once the muksa gets in it, glee can no longer be moved. And again, we saw before that Rashi says it's either Binyan or Soter, because the glee now is affixed in place, so it's lost its utility. Mara answers like it answered before, which is, Sparks are intangible. They're intangible items, and therefore they do not qualify to be muksa to ruin the glee. You can move the glee afterwards because the spark stonings really exist. They're there to protect against something else, but they themselves don't have a status of muksa that they can affect the kli. Now, the harder part of this Mishnah is, Now that I put water in it because it extinguishes the sparks. Let us say our Mishnah is a Stam Mishnah, supports the position of Rabbi Yossi. That if you cause extinguishment on Shabbat, that is problematic. This relates to a Gemara later on in the Masechta. But on the Masechta, the Gemara discusses what happens if a fire comes on Shabbat. What are you allowed to do in order to stop the fire on Shabbat? The Rabbanan over there have a suggestion that you make what's called a wall of water. You basically take a large number of barrels filled with water, and you make a wall out of those barrels. So what ends up happening is when the fire gets there, it'll eventually cause the barrels to burn down, explode, and that water will then extinguish the fire. That's what we call gram dibui. You're not extinguishing the fire directly. You're causing it to be extinguished, but it's derech grama. So there the chachamim say gram kibui is mutar. Rabbi Yossi takes the alternative position, which is gram kibui is asur. And because gram kibui is asur, he does not allow you to do this. So let's suggest that Rabbi Yossi is the author of our Mishnah. Over here, are you extinguishing the nitzotzot? No, you're not putting out the sparks. You're simply causing it that when the sparks come, they will be extinguished. So that would be the equivalent of Gram Kibui over here. So what the Gemara suggests is, let Rabbi Yossi be the author of our Mishnah that, Agorim the Kibui is Asur. Gemara says, V'tizbro, does that really make sense? Imo Dama Rabbi Yossi b'Shabbat. Rabbi only restricts one from doing Gram Kibui on Shabbat itself. Be'erev Shabbat mi'amar. If you were to put the water here on Erev Shabbat, according to Biosi, you would have no problem. Gram Kibui is only a problem on Shabbat itself, because Kibui is a Melacha. We won't allow you to do the Gramah, causing of that Melacha on Shabbat. 
But if you do it before Shabbat, Melacha is not a sore. So obviously, Gram Kibbuli before Shabbat is also not a sore. So what are you going to say? Our mission is talking about a case on Shabbat. Vatanya. We have a Brita that expands on the Mishnah and tells us that our Mishnah is not only relevant on Shabbat, it's also relevant on Arab Shabbat, which is Notim Kli Tachara Ner the Kabel Nitzotzot Pe Shabbat. When it's allowed to put the utensil there to catch the sparks on Shabbat itself, obviously if you can put it on Shabbat, you certainly can put it on Arab Shabbat. Even before Shabbat, one may not put a bowl full of water to catch the sparks. And certainly you can't do it on Shabbat. If you can't do it on Arab Shabbat, you certainly can't do it on Shabbat. Now, that precludes us from saying that the author of this Mishnah is Rabbi Yossi, because it's clearly not the issue. Gram Kibui can't be the issue over here, because if Gram Kibui is the issue, then why is it restricted even on Erev Shabbat? Even Rabbanon could be the authors of our Mishnah. The Gemara here draws a distinction and says that the Mishnah could even be authored by the Rabbanon, that our case is not similar to Gram Kibui. Gram Kibo is one case, and that's where we have Machogat Rabbanan and Rabbi Yossi. Our case is a case of Mikarev et Kibuyav. What's that distinction? What's the difference? So Rashi says, Delodomi, the Gram Kibo, Dehotom, Kimate, Deleko, Lekelim, Deleko, Hu, Depakalohu, Vigramo, Ba'amahu. When it comes over there in the case, later on the Mesechta, Empirical Kidve, over there it says, How is the extinguishment accomplished? It's that the fire takes under the barrels, then it destroys the barrels, which will freeze the water to extinguish the fire. That's groma. Over here, the water itself is right there. It doesn't have to do anything in terms of getting connection to the water. That's what Rashi says, You put the item that's going to extinguish it there openly. It's the equivalent of extinguishing, literally extinguishing on Shabbat. One is that what creates the accessibility to the water is the fire itself. You don't give accessibility to the water. Over here, in our case, the accessibility of the water is provided by you. So, Mikarev Kibuyav is that you now have put the item that will extinguish it, you've made it now available. Even on Erev Shabbat, that's because you're Atu. But Gram Kibuy is when you do not provide the accessibility to the water, another action has to be taken before that happens. Tosafot right away says, and as some of what Svi's asking here is, can you just refine the definition between these two? Tosafot over here says, that it's not really kibui mamash. You put that platter down with the water, that's not really kibui. Come on. You put the water there, you haven't done kibui. The sparks still have to come out, and they still have to land in the water, that's not called kibui. So Tosafot says over here, first of all, Gazrina and Ero Shabbat Atu Shabbat, but then he says, if you lift up the glee while the spark's coming out, then you've actually done kibuy. Because then you'll be what's called mekarev et kibuyav. To simply put the bowl down there with the water, that's not bringing closer the kibuy. That's simply putting it there. And then the spark comes out, fine. If you put the bowl there when the spark's coming, that's mekarev et kibuyav. Because you're bringing the water to the spark. As opposed to the spark coming Correct. So if the spark comes to the water or the fire comes to the fire line, the barrels, that's called grama. Mikarevet kibuyav is when you bring the water to the spark. And that's where the problem is. And Tosavot says that Rashi is not dafka. He doesn't really mean it's mechabe. Because if you put the bowl down, that's not called mechabe. Mechabe is when you move the bowl towards the spark. And that's the fear here. The fear here is not when the bowl is there with the water. The fear is that you're going to bring the bowl and that's going to cause kibuy. And that's what mikarev kibuyav is.
Okay, now the Rabbeinu Tam and the Irach have a different girsah. And they say, Mipanesha Mekarev Kibui. Instead of Kibuyav, they have Mekarev Kibui. Which does make a difference, even though it's a little nuanced, it makes a difference. And the way they explain our Gemara is, the question here is whether there's a barrier between the water and the fire. If there's a barrier between the water and the fire, that's called Gram Kibui. If there is no intervening material between the water and the fire of the spark, that's called Kibui, Mekarev Kibui. So if you bring the water there, and here in our case, there's no cover to the water, then the water has now been directly exposed to the sparks, and not like what Tosma was saying before, that you bring the water to the spark, but suddenly having the water there and the sparks going into it, that's called Mekarev Kibui. You have now accelerated the extinguishment of an item. On the other hand, by the case of Gram Kibui, later on the Masechta, over there, since there's a barrier between the water and the item, you have not caused, you have not been Mekarev Kibui. You've not accelerated the Kibui, you've simply now made a Gram Kibui. You made it possible that it could be extinguished by another action. Therefore, they differentiate. Maybe that's the way Rashi is explaining here as well, which is that the problem here is that you've now put water there that will accelerate the extinguishment of the sparks that come out, which wouldn't have happened otherwise. And that's called Mikarev Kibui. On the other hand, Gram Kibui is where you simply put a material that could in the future cause the extinguishment, but you're not accelerated. Timers, what happens with timers is, there's a basic principle, and this is part of what Machon Somet uses in terms of their principles of how things work, is that Shabbat, you're allowed to maintain the status quo. What you can't do is change the status quo. So for instance, if your light is on, then to leave the light on is not a malacha on Shabbat. Maintain the light in its current status, that is not problematic on Shabbat. Therefore, if you have a timer that's going or set to extinguish the fire, meaning it's going to shut the light off, if you simply move the pins so that the light remains on for a longer period of time, you've done no malach on Shabbat. The malach was to turn the light on or have the light be burning. When you extend that, all you've done is maintain the status quo. That is allowed. The same is true the other way around. If the light is off and it remains in the off position, you've done no malach on Shabbat. So then if the pins are set to turn the light on and all you simply do is extend those pins so that it remains off, maintaining the status quo is allowed on Shabbat. What you may not do on Shabbat is accelerate the other side, which is that if it's on, you can't accelerate it going off. That's our case of Mikarev Kibuyav here. If you move the pins up, so now it, it's going to go off anyway, but you now make it go off earlier, you've done exactly what is described here. You're Mikarev Kibuy. You've accelerated the extinguishment of the light because you've moved the pins, so now it will go off earlier than it would have otherwise gone off. Yes, it would have been extinguished. But now you've made it extinguish faster than it otherwise would have extinguished. That is not allowed on Shabbat. And the other way is true as well. If the light is off and you move up the pin so it goes on earlier, you've accelerated the Havara that's going to take place over here. By accelerating it, you've done something on Shabbat, which is Mekarev Havara, which is also a problem on Shabbat. The difference will be on Yom Tov. On Yom Tov, where Havara is allowed and Kibui is not allowed, you would be allowed to accelerate the Havara, you would not be allowed to accelerate the Kibui. But this Gemara place is a very important part of that issue with the timers, that one may not be karev at Kibui. You cannot accelerate the extinguishment. What you can do is allow the extinguishment or extend that which is there. Alright, so now, Gemara, we're going to begin the next parak. The next parak, and now we jump to Tahatmana. Now, in terms of Atmana, we've discussed it already. The problem of Atmana is that one may not put an item to cook into materials that completely surround it, completely envelop the item. Now, there are two types of materials that you can use. There's a material that's mosifevel, that adds heat, 
And then there's a some material that is an insulator, which is simply maintains the heat. In terms of Mosif Havel, an item that adds heat to it, that's not only a surah on Shabbat, it's even a surah on Arab Shabbat. We already saw that in the previous parak. Why? Because Shema Yat Min Because you might do a Tmana in Remetz, meaning in coals, or in something that it still has an embers to it, and you're going to stoke them in order to accelerate the cooking process. And so because of that, anything that's Mosif Havel, you may not put the item in Hatmana. Something that is not Mosifel, is something an insulator. An insulator, Hatmana can be done on Erev Shabbat. It cannot be done on Shabbat itself. What the mission discusses here is exactly what types of materials are we speaking about. What are those materials? What can you use for Hatmana? What cannot you use? May not use mark or peat, which is basically the residue of fruits. Our items here are talking about the residue of zaytim, of olive, the leftovers after they're pressed. The lobe is zevel, and not whether it's manure or some other waste material. The lobe melach, not with salt. The lobe sid, not with lime. The lobe not with sand. Ben lachim, ben yeveshim. Whether they're moist or whether they are dry. Because all of these items are what we call mosif hevel, and they're very hot. They're very hot whether they are moist or dry. On the other hand, one may not use for atmano lobe teven, not straw. Lobe zagin, not skins. Lobe muchin, not soft material, like Rashi says, over like cotton. And not any herbage. When they are moist, But if they are dry, then they don't have this ability to be mosif hevel. Our Mishnah mentions gefet, but the gefet it's speaking about is the residue of the pressed olives. If it comes to the shumshamim, whether this means sesame seeds or sometimes it means poppy seeds, if that was the case, are they allowed to be used? Odoma, the shumshamim tnan. Or is our Mishnah, when it says gefet over here, it refers to the gefet of the shumshamim or the sesame, the residue of the sesame. V'chol shekein zeitim. And then certainly zeitim would also be included. Tashma. Dama Rabbi Zerah Mishum Chad Debei Rabbi Anai. Kupa Shetaman Ba. If you have a basket in which something was placed. Asur Lanichal Gefet Shel Zeitim. One may not place it into the residue of the pressed olives. Shpam Bizinah Shel Zeitim tonight. It's clear that we were talking about zeitim over here. It says, L'olamim Melechal Inyan Hatmano Atishum Shemim Nami Asur. I would say no. Even when sesame seeds, it's also Asur. But the Indian asuke havla de zeitim maske havla de shumshim lo maske havla. But when you're talking about extreme heat or the ability to heat through another object, zeitim can do that. Shumshimim cannot, because the case that you brought down is not exactly parallel to the case in the Mishnah. In the case of the Mishnah, you're putting the item itself into the hatmana, the object that you're being matmin in. On the other hand, what you have here, the case that's brought over here by Rabbi Zera. From Rabbi Yana is that you have a kupa, you have a kli, and then the kli itself is being put into the materials. So over there, it might be that olive residue is the only thing that is hot enough to make a difference in that case of the atmana. But if you were to put the object directly in, then maybe that would be true even by shumshumin. So you can't prove anything from here, as Rashi says. You first put it into a kupa, you do that man in the kupa, and then after that you're also then putting it into the, the gefet. Over there, only gefet shel zeitim gives off enough heat to make a difference, to actually affect the item itself. On the other hand, shel shumshimim doesn't. But, in a scenario where the admana was done by the shumshimim itself, maybe over there that would be sufficient and hot enough to be problematic. Alright, so that's it. We'll stop here in the Gemara Tosafot. There's a very, very fundamental Tosafot over here. It's fundamental to atmana and the way that atmana applies today. He says, Mikan Afilu Kadera Lehem. 
Even though you have something in a pot, or inside of a pot, which is the equivalent of our case over here, equivalent of something in a pot, you can't do hatmana in something that is still a lit, something that is still giving off heat in an active way. Because that's what our Gemara just showed us over here. Gemara showed us over here that, you're right, hatmana has to be direct. If it's not direct, then we don't worry about hatmana. But, the Gemara does say, if it's so hot that it affects it, even when it's a double layer of Atmana, then it's problematic, like the Gefet Shel Zetim. So that would be the equivalent of a pot that's put into coals, because the pot is the first level of Atmana, and then the coals is the second level of Atmana. But because the coals are so hot, and they can heat the pot as well, that's a problem of Atmana, even though there's an intervening layer. So it doesn't matter, that's applicable to us. But then, he asks, How do we do Atmana in our Kirot? Because even though we sweep it out and we do, you know, giru fikitum, we do everything that's supposed to be done, nevertheless, it's mostly hevel. It still increases the heat. The heat level is still very high and increases the heat in the item that's placed in there. So, wait a minute, how do we put our pots into the kira going into Shabbat? We're matmin them in there and something that's mostly hevel. And Tosafot is a classic Tosafot. He says, that's what we do. That's the minog. Right? If it was a Sfardi posek, he would say that they're wrong. That's it. The Allah is this way, they're wrong. The Bali Atosavot, they're very sensitive to the Minhag. And since that's the Minhag, they have to find a justification for the Minhag. So then, Vomari, Yeshli Ten Tam, the Kayema Minhag. We gotta solve this. So now, the Gabi Gefet, Ika the Mecha Shema Yatmin Kula Betocha, Ava Bikirot Shalano, Loshach Mecha Shachi. Number one is, by Gefet, we can worry about the fact that you will totally submerge it in the Gefet. That's not true by our Kirot, our stoves, our tops here. You can never get the entire Kli inside. That's number one. Vod, some people make their kira by digging a pit in the ground, putting bricks around it, and then they heat it up and stick it in there. But that's not really like hatmana. Why is it not? Right. So why is it not like hatmana? Because he says there's airspace there. Hatmana, Tosafot defines over here, and this is what's very important. Hatmana is only when the the object that you're being matmin is directly surrounds it. It's completely buried. Right. It's buried in it, and it surrounds it completely. But if there's airspace in between, that may not be called Tatmana anymore. If there's intervening air, that's not called Tatmana because it doesn't have the impact that we're talking about here. Because what's the impact? We're looking for Shema Yachteh et HaGichalim or Shema Yachteh et HaRemetz. That's the whole fear over here. When it's not completely around the item, that's not going to create that problem. And therefore, when there's airspace there, you don't have the problem of Tatmana anymore. So leaving, for instance, going into Shabbat, you shut off the oven, and you leave items in the oven after they're shut off, that's not called Hatmana, because the oven has airspace in there. That's not called Hatmana anymore. Any airspace would get you out of the problem of Hatmana. The other thing, the other suggestion, the other answer that's brought here, is that the fact that the stove is most available is not really true. Because when you're talking about items like gefet or coals, they accelerate the heat, and they continue to heat on a continuous basis and make things hotter. But the oven, by definition, the heat is going to dissipate. So even though it's mostly devil, it still will ming mekarer. For the moment you take the coals out, the oven is on a process of decelerating, cooling down. And therefore, it's not called mostly devil. Mostly is something that maintains a heat level and can then heat something to the point it will maintain or even increase the heat for it. Not something where there's a cooling process that's going on. And by definition, it cannot continue to heat the item. It will cool automatically. That's not called hatmana. And that brings Tosafot, the bottom Tosafot on, on the bottom of the Amud Bet, says a fundamental difference between Hatmana and Shia. He says here that when it comes to Shia, we said before, that you can leave something on the fire going into Shabbat if it's fully cooked, or it's Chaito. 
It's something raw, completely raw. It's completely raw, you're allowed to do it because the person is Messiah that. He's not assuming it's going to be done for tonight. It won't be done until tomorrow, so he lets it go. He's not going to stoke the fire. Is that also true by Atmana? If you put a raw piece of meat into something and then you do hatmana, we don't worry about it because it's the same fear. Shema yechate et aremet. The Rabbeinu Tam over here distinguishes between them. It says that there's a big difference and therefore the lacha will be different. By Shia, there is, if you stoke it, it can heat it up, it can cook it a little bit. But you're not going to get a lot of value out of stoking it. Therefore, you put something raw in there, it doesn't pay to stoke it because you have to wait a long time anyway for it to cook. By hatmana, by the nature of hatmana, that will accelerate or exaggerates any action that you take. Because it's mutman, therefore if you stoke the fire, that will have a greater impact on the item because a little stoking will have a lot of effect in the thing that is now insulated and covered. That heating will do a lot of work, a lot of cooking. And therefore the problem exists in Atmana, that even if you have a raw item there, that's not enough to get you out of the problem of Atmana. Atmana does not have that dispensation of Deirachaito. If something raw that's in there, or if something is past the point where you would think about cooking it, that does not get the dispensation that is by Shia, because the cooking is accelerated, is done in a way that actually will exaggerate any action that you take, and therefore that's not does not allow you to do that going in with Atmana. Only with Shia do you have that dispensation, not with Atmana. Stop here.